Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have a very, very amazing show for you today. Uh, I've known my guest, Amanda Tucker of Modified Minds uh, for many years. The first time we met in person was in 2014 at Phoenix Comic Con, where she typically has a uh, very large booth set up with uh, different uh, costumes and accessories and uh, She's always around for uh, different things. Very, very wonderful uh, in person as well as on the podcast. She gave a a fantastic interview that I'm really excited to share with you guys. She's one of those people that quite honestly really, really inspires me. She's she's just fearless. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, many of my guests here on the show, I could say that about. Um, There are people that have pushed beyond boundaries, beyond fears, beyond people telling them, hey, you can't do this. And yeah, you know, you should, it's great and cute that you want to do that. But you know, what do you really want to do with your life? And, uh, you know, I love people that just don't listen to that bullshit, because that's really all it is. It's well meaning, I get it. But at the same point, like, unless you really, really work hard, and you're pushing all the time, and you really go for your dreams, they're not going to become a reality, especially if you're working in the entertainment field. It's very rare that things just happen. Typically, everything that uh, any any success that people has comes from hustle. Even you know actors when they're they're auditioning, they're learning their craft, they're finding you know getting to the point where they can even get an agent to talk to them. That's all hustle. And then the agent has to be interested in enough to pitch them, to think of them for roles with all the other people that they're they're managing. Um, there's so many, so many components to it, but everything starts with you hustling if you want to get somewhere in this business or really just anywhere in life. Um, very little just seems to fall into your lap. So get out there and make it happen. And I think after listening to Amanda today, I think you'll feel very much like, uh, you know, you just, you just climb the stairs at the, at the, uh, part in Rocky where he runs up to the, what is it? The library or the museum. And, uh, you know, he's just jumping up and down completely exhausted, but because he made it because he pushed hard, he trained and he was able to get up those stairs. And I think that you'll kind of feel that way after listening to Amanda speak. And I'm very excited to share that interview with you guys in uh, just a minute. Um, not much really going on here today. I'm, uh, working on some corrections on an audiobook I edited. Um, there's always little things like, uh, the author doesn't like the way that the reader said this or the way that this sounds or, or that, or, or maybe the accent isn't quite right. So, uh, you know, they, we finished the book, it's all edited. It goes to the author and then the author listened to it and goes, okay, I would like this changed and that changed. And, uh, so I'm working on those corrections and, um, after that, I'm going to finish up the uh, the last song for Haunted Holidays 3, which will be coming out this October, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, that's pretty much it uh, today. I think I'm going to take a, a nice long walk tonight. It's Saturday. The weather's a little cooler today here in Vegas, which is nice. And uh, it'd be nice to just take a, a late walk down the Strip and see what's happening down there. So uh, you guys enjoy this interview. If you have any questions, any comments, uh, go ahead and, and write to me. You can uh, you know, c- uh, comment. If you're listening to Podbean, you can connect through there. If you're on iTunes, you can leave comments, you can leave reviews. Star ratings are always nice and appreciated. And, uh, you know, and anything that uh, you guys want to say or have questions on, uh, I'm very available. So feel free to reach out to me. You can also find me on Twitter at scotthaskin31, as well as at mental sauna. So those are the two places. I thought about doing one for for the podcast, and I thought, you know what? How many Twitter accounts do I really want to maintain? Uh, It's hard enough to get to the two I have, plus Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and every other place that you can find me. And so, uh, you know, I want to give kind of individual attention to each one too, because each one kind of runs its own way. And I've never really been comfortable with those services that just take the one thing that you say and blast it everywhere because I think the content uh, for each avenue needs to be a little bit tailored to that avenue. So everything is done manually, and uh, I just don't really at this time want to take on a third Twitter account. So anyway, uh, contact me, reach out anytime. Please leave feedback, ratings, um, share the podcast with your friends, and uh, it, is, it is very, very much appreciated on my end. We just hit over a thousand downloads, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I think a lot of that had to do with the the amazing guests that I've had on the show, as well as my Stranger Things marathon that I did recently. And uh, it seems like a lot of people enjoyed that. So thank you very much for listening and enjoy my talk 
with Amanda Tucker of Modified Minds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to bring you my next guest. She's actually one of the first people that I had on my list when I started the uh, idea of doing the show. And it is the fantastically talented Amanda Tucker. Amanda, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Of course, your company is Modified Minds. And why don't you tell us, kind of give us an overview of what it is that you do? So kind of what I bring to the Valley is a specialized, alternative, um, high-end, high-detail, custom clothing, costuming, and special event wear. And you do a lot of work for cosplayers, for modeling, uh, for film too, I would imagine? Uh, Yeah, so I don't like to really pigeonhole myself. I don't want to box myself off or limit myself to any opportunity. So I try to really just get my hands on any project, anything anyone has going on. So um, I want to learn always every single day of my life. So I try to make something new every single time I jump on my sewing machine. So I very rarely say no to projects unless it's um, like recreating completely from scratch, like identical to someone else's design. I don't like doing that, but anything else I'm really open to. Well, and I really like that that approach too, because it's it's really hard, I think, in today's world, because if you don't have certain keywords, certain things that will attract people to find you, uh, it's hard to attract new people. But at the same point, you don't want people to just think of you as a cosplay designer or just somebody who does uh, you know something for film. You really want to to be able to jump in and do anything. Is that really kind of tricky when you're promoting yourself? Absolutely. It's um it's a uh, pretty damaging and helpful actually at the same time to be someone uh an artist like I am that kind of says yes to everything. Um because of that people feel that you're not specializing in any one thing. Mm-hmm. And to those people, I tell you to fuck off because <laughs> uh the more you know, the more valuable you are. I think it's fucking ridiculous that people try to say, well, I only make this one thing or, you know, it's asinine to try to even make anything else when I found the thing that I like. And that's cool for them. Mm-hmm. For me, not so much. You know, I try to get, I want to fucking, I want to make everything, man. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I care what it is. I want to make everything. I love it. And you know, but you're, you're exactly right. And skills that, that you might pick up doing one thing can transfer to something completely different. Something that I might uh, come up with doing a rock song, that particular idea may translate over to jazz or to classical. So for the idea of thinking that you're only good at one thing really is kind of silly because skills are really versatile. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that um, for me, like I'm just excited to be part of projects and collaborate and get out and just like share and make and create um, solo or with others. And um, I just with that, when you get on set, like right now I'm focusing on films a lot. When you get on set and you're saying, uh, you know, I have all of these skill sets put me to work, you are so much more valuable then when you come on set and you're like, hey, I'm really good at this one thing. And they're like, great, here's your 10 minutes on set and see you later. Right. You know, you don't want that. You want to be part of it. You want to be involved and helpful and and try to be that accelerant in that group and that project to kind of move them forward. Absolutely true. The more valuable you can be and the more that they're likely to contact you back for the next thing, because not only were you able to do the thing that they expected of you very well, but you also added additional value and that makes you more of a commodity. I think so. I mean, other people might see it differently, but that's how I see it. Yeah. And you started doing this pretty young. You were what, 16? Yeah. So I started uh, sewing when I was about 16. And that was for what was your first project? Uh, it's kind of funny because my my mother had a sewing machine, just a little basic, uh, you know, plastic one that she had gotten from the store. It was a gift to her, and she didn't really know how to sew. Uh, about the time that I was in high school, she really wanted me to try to go to prom. She thought it was important for me to, you know, experience that, and I wasn't really into it. You know, I was the shitty, snotty little ska punk kid that was like, I hate everything. I'm not going to do anything that anybody tells me to do. And bleh, you know, so just being a, a shithead really. And, I can't um, picture that at all. <laughs> and so, uh, I 
like talked to my mom about it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, these prom dresses are ridiculously stupid, expensive and they're so cheap and they fall apart. And, you know, coming from a family that had not really a lot of money, I, it was heartbreaking to think that my mom would waste all this money on a prom dress. You know, it was Mm -hmm. really upsetting to me. And so I was like, I will go to prom, but you need to teach me how to sew. Maybe you can get your sewing machine out and maybe we can make this prom dress together. And, um, so that's what we did. She brought it out and we made a cute little black prom dress, no surprises there. And, uh, it was great. And then I found out that I really liked sewing. I thought it was a really cool little machine. And so I just, kind of stole it from her. Sorry, mom. And I just uh, started creating things off of her sewing machine. Mm-hmm. And I, I love when things happen organically like that, when it's just a, you find a thing that you have a natural of, uh, you know, joy uh, in. And uh, for me, when, when I would hear my mom on the sewing machine, I was more picking out the rhythm of it than anything else. So yeah. that, that just goes to show that my direction as well was correct. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you find it difficult to learn, especially because your mom wasn't familiar with it? Was it uh, was it challenging in the beginning? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the reasons why I really liked it. Um, growing up, I was always more drawn to art than anything else. So uh, when I was in that, that age, you know, I was just trying to learn any and every art form that I could. Mm-hmm. I took every class in high school available in art, and I ran out of classes to take other than dance. And I can't do that. So, um, when my mom brought out this sewing machine, I was like, Oh hell yes. Like a new skill set that I've not even, even thought of trying. So mm-hmm. let's do this. Yeah. And, um, so it was super exciting for me because it, all of a sudden it was like this fresh, new, cool thing. And like the, the availability and the versatility of the machine is amazing. And you can make literally anything with it. I mean, it's the perfect tool. Absolutely. And I think that's a a really excellent point, too, because when people think art, they think painting, music, dancing, sculpting. But but your your mind doesn't tend to go to sewing and costuming uh, as as an art form, but it really is just as much as anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of this lost and forgotten art form. You know, when you think of sewing, you think of, you know, your cute little grandma on her little black and gold uh, (laughs) singer machine, you know, like just happy and like, I don't know, mending her, her kitchen towels or her apron or something. You know, when people think of sewing, it's not this cool new art form where young kids like, and they're making cool shit. It's like granny's you know, fixing aprons. And that's kind of a shitty stigma to have on it because it is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's a versatile skill that everyone can benefit from. I try to get everyone that I meet. I'm just like, you should learn how to sew. It's an amazing skill set. Please learn. You will love your life. I, I like that. I really do. And <laughs> I, I think my, my grandma had one, I want to say that was sort of either that like 60s baby blue or mint green. I can't mm-hmm. remember which one now, but yeah, I, I definitely get that visual when I think about it. Of course, you know, knowing people like you and Abby Stroot, uh, working with uh, different people in the sh- in the shows here in plays and, and Cirque du Soleil and stuff, I, I have a different appreciation for it now because that's really a lot of work that goes into it. And I heard a rumor about you, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard that you never use patterns. Yeah, so I don't know how to use patterns. Um I, it's stupid and it's silly and it's laughable, but, um, growing up as a kid, I had like really bad dyslexia. So like anything with reading and writing or anything, I just like, it's like holy water to me. I just like go right away from it. Mm -hmm. And, um, patterns are kind of like that, you know, uh, I will buy patterns, open them up, look at the shape and see how the item goes together. And then I don't even have to cut out the pattern. It's stupid. It's really a waste of money and I should stop doing it. Um, but (laughs) I just, I look at the pattern and I'm like, okay, I see how it's put together. Uh, but I don't like this, so I'm going to change it and I'm going to make it the way I like it. But I never have actually cut out a pattern and put it on fabric and like done it from scratch from a pattern bought in a store. Probably silly. Yeah. I feel like you could just take a pic, take a picture of it and get the same effect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, my brain is different. And so I can, um, laying, laying the shapes out on the ground, I can see how it can go together on a person's body. Mm -hmm. It's really weird. Does it feel like cheating to you? Um, actually it's almost like a a handicap, uh, in my opinion, just because it is so different. Um, I've always been very self-conscious about it 
uh, people have made fun of me for it for a long time, uh, just because I it is a stupid thing to not know how patterns work. You know, even like little eight-year-old kids know how patterns work. So in that regard, it is funny. Um, but in the same regard, like I'm actually kind of proud of myself for teaching myself and learning a different way, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, actually. <laughs> I'm kind of in the middle. That's really interesting, though, because I think if it's something, I could see it being a handicap if it stifles your creativity because it's already doing some of the work for you, whereas you may do it uh, differently if you were just doing it on your own. But at the same point, if, if somebody is doing some of the work for you, can you really call it your design? True. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, there is absolutely that. Yeah, we face the same thing in the music industry with with loops. I, I'm very vocal about the fact that I don't use loops, which is basically someone else creating a rhythm or a melody and you right. stringing it along in your song. To me, that's not composing. That's being more like a, a music producer or a music editor. So sure. I can't put that in a composition and say, I wrote this. And I think it is a handicap because you're limited now to whatever they've done. And you can only sure. layer so much of your own sort of scent on top of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying there. And um, I guess it depends on really the project that you're looking to create, really, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. so if their budget isn't quite where you need it to be for the project, maybe that is a good good thing for you because then at least you can have a skeleton to flesh out with your own uh, ideas and projects. But mm-hmm. it just, I guess it would depend on what you're making and why. Yeah, very true. Or the time frame that you have to do it in. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting, though, uh, with your look, you know, kind of studying them, because when I was first introduced to loops, I did the same thing. I bought a bunch of them. I kind of listened to them and deconstructed them in my head and kind of understood how they worked, how they were getting the clarity of sound. So I learned a lot from them. Uh, I experimented on a couple of songs just to understand how they worked. But I don't believe I've ever released a single composition that had a loop in it. So I don't think that you should feel bad about purchasing them and studying them because there's a lot that you can learn from studying the work that other people have done. I mean, you would do it with another designer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how do you go about, like, do you just take the idea that somebody has, they say, okay, I want, I'm doing a runway show. And I need to create a character or do you get hired by the company that's doing the show and say, we need three costumes from you? So it depends on uh, the project. I try to make myself as transparent and versatile as possible. I try to mold myself to the needs of the person that's employing me Mm -hmm. um, without losing my personal touch. So it really just depends on what they want. So if someone is doing a um like a cosplay i always let them know ahead of time like i am not your average cosplay designer i do not like making these pristine perfect beautiful untouched costumes when you get a costume from me i'm gonna study the character that i'm creating uh and then i'm gonna go into that video game or that whatever and find them that movie and see kind of what they have been through in their story. And then I'm going to add those things into their costumes. So if they're a fighter, do they have blood on their costume? Is it ripped? Is it torn? Is there mud? Uh, You know, like what are the situations that you've been in? And um, I let people know that like right out of the gate, that way they know what my expectations are and they are not getting their hopes up for something that really isn't in their brain. I like that because communication really is everything with a client. If you're not understanding your client's needs and you're not setting a proper expectation, they're never going to be happy with what you do. And you're right. you're so different from what other people do that without that communication, they could be really shocked when they see the, the result. Yeah. And I have had a, a few situations where it has blown up in my face a little bit where they weren't wanting something so intense and they did want the that pristine, cute thing. And when they get that oh, shit, this is like something that you'd see in a movie. They're very um, off-put by that. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had a few people actually drop their costumes because of it. Because at the beginning, when I wasn't explaining myself well enough, Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, 10 plus years later, I've gotten it down pretty good. But at the beginning, it was kind of rough. Well, but that's that's just the growth of, of working with different people and learning how to work with your clients. In the beginning, none of us know how to do it. I didn't know how to talk to directors and explain music to them. And they would just point at something and go, I want that. And I'm like, well, I can't even hear that. 
<laughs> you know, right. it's, 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 uh, but once you learn how to communicate, it really does save a lot of those issues. But I would imagine yep. there's, there's a tough element of balance for you in keeping with the, uh, the accuracy of the concept, but also putting your own touch on it. Yeah. So, um, I've turned down several projects as well that, that has come up. So they're looking for something and there is no room for my personal touch. Mm -hmm. I really don't see the point of me being the person creating the item for those projects. Um, and I have turned those down. You know, I have suggested like, well, the super basic thing that you just need made because you can't find it or whatever, like just go to Goodwill and see if you can find something similar. Like there's nothing, there's no reason for you to be hiring me for this project when you just want this like basic, you know, box of a thing, go here and do this. I'm, it won't be worth your money to hire me pretty much. Right. And, and, you know, that would be like saying, uh, Hey, Leonardo da Vinci, could you just repaint the Sistine Chapel for me? Because I really like that. Yeah. But I just want it to be pink with like hearts on it. <laughs> right. But you would, you would go to da Vinci to do something da Vinci would do. You wouldn't go and, and say, you know, I want you to do what someone else did, or I just want you to recreate something else. You could buy a replica costume on Amazon if you're going to do that. Right. You know, you yeah. go to somebody like you because you want something that's a personal touch that's going to be not the same 12 costumes that you're going to see at Comic-Con. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You want to stand out. I did attend one of the runway events that you worked on. I, I know this is going back a ways and you've done so many. Do do they kind of just blend in together after a while or does each one, because of, of how much work you put into it, does each one still kind of stand out in your head? Um, I think all of them actually stand out in my head because I have different layers of like embarrassment, trial and error, and like hatred built up in my brain wow. for the things that I make. And so I have different like stamps per show of like incidents that happened with costumes or like what I learned that show, you know, how I fucked one thing up, you know, what chemical burns or cuts did you get during that show? That sort of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they're very much so different. <laughs> but, but are you able to look back on those fondly, even though you hate them? Oh, absolutely. Oh, and okay. I, I don't, I hate them all. I do cherish and love all of them, but there is a lot of love and hate that goes into the outfits for sure. It's a tough thing as an artist because when, when you're, you don't do a lot of work that people don't see, I would imagine. So at, when, at, everything that you put yourself into, you know, somebody's going to see it. It's going to get judged. People are going to say what they're going to say about it. Uh, but it's tough as an artist to be putting yourself out there all the time and open yourself up to people's opinion. Yeah. It's pretty fucking crazy because I, I am the easiest person in Arizona to find probably <laughs> in this uh, realm of like clothing making. I mean, all my personal information is out there. All of these pictures are out there. And like the entire digest of like what I've created is on the internet. So you can see like my earliest, grossest, ugliest fuck ups all the way to like my most recent, like things that I'm super proud of. So you can, all of that is exposed. There is nothing private about me uh, as a creator and as an artist. And that's something very interesting in itself. But I learned early on as a child that I don't need to give a two shits about anyone else's opinion. Right. Um, so I'm totally okay with that. And you know what? That's what is beautiful about being human is we don't have to like everything and we don't have to hate it everything either we get to decide and people have every right to like or hate the things that i make and i i fucking welcome it bring it please bring me the hate that you have about my outfit because at least it brought some sort of emotion out of you well that's that's a good point you're affecting people to the point where they feel they need to say something but i yeah. find it interesting in this world where the internet is such an advantage that we had over where we were say 20 years ago where you would have to be going to expos you would have to be putting on uh you know events so that people could find you and find out that you even exist and now with right. the internet it's so easy to do that but it's also so easy for people to well let's just say say whatever they want right you know, and uh, and that can be a good or a bad thing because people tend to have opinions, whether they're valid or not, whether they just are angry and want to lash out and they can be very hurtful to someone personally or to their business. And people just don't tend to take the time to think anymore. Yet on the flip side of that, I constantly see memes about how it's OK to be human. It's OK to break down. Tacos fall apart. And we still love them. And, you know, all these things. So it's really 
it's really, uh, you know, a, a double-edged sword sending two messages at the same time and saying both of these are okay when they really conflict with each other. As an artist, though, don't you find it kind of tough sometimes to just hear what people have to say? I mean, it was at first uh, when I first started doing this, but like I have, I have gone through so much uh, trial and error and have felt so many human emotions growing up uh, through a pretty, pretty fun and rough childhood that I have grown up what I would think to be a, a pretty thick skin once I got here to Arizona. So, um, being kind of delved into art since I was a child, I kind of got used to that constant feedback from everyone, whether it was welcome or not mm-hmm. about the things that you create. And I don't know if that has numbed me down or made me tougher or what, but, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, to be truly honest, I, I welcome everyone's opinions and even the negative and even the bad, um, is not bad in my eyes. And even if it is bad, it doesn't mean that I have to take that in. And it doesn't mean that I have to let that affect my art or make me change my art, you know? Well, that's a great perspective. And it's, it's not uncommon for people that grow up uh, in, in a bit of a rough life that they take their comfort through art, um, that the things that they can't say, the things that they can't express, they find a way to do that through creativity and I think in a way, it's sort of a defense mechanism as much as it is something that you just naturally enjoy doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, self-expression through creating is absolutely essential to be human, in my opinion. And um, people do it in different ways. You know, even if they feel like they're not creative or not artistic at all, I'm sure they do something that other people don't or very, you know, not a large group of people do that they're good at. Mm-hmm. And that they should embrace and fucking just drive forward with. Yeah. And I think it's as much of a therapy as a curse. It's a wonderful thing. It, I absolutely agree with that. I think if you're doing something that makes you happy and that's not hurting other people, there's no reason you shouldn't just give it everything you have if you enjoy it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Was it hard, though, once you went from just it being just something you enjoy to turning it into an actual business to, to sustain on? Yeah, it was super hard. It was uh, incredibly stressful and um, nerve wracking. And I fucked up a lot of things during the process. But, you know, that's that's part of growing is falling down and fucking up and, Mm -hmm. you know, bleeding and crying and getting back up and moving forward. And everybody does that in uh, different time frames. And, you know, everyone has to do it in their own speed to feel good about it. And it was a lot of trial and error. But it's great. And I'm so happy that I did. And I encourage anyone that's afraid to like turn that hobby into a business, just do it, just break through and fucking do it. Yeah. I, I I couldn't agree with that more. Did you find, like, I think a lot of artists too, in the beginning, especially we have a hard time maybe charging for our work, but also just trying to find a value that we think, yes, this is what it's, it's worth or what I should charge for it versus yeah, but, you know, people don't really know me and I, I'm just doing this and, you know, maybe I should only charge them this. Was it hard to kind of find price points to stick with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could ask anyone that's ever had to do a show with me or ever had to, like, watch me try to charge something from someone. It's laughable and embarrassing. It's mm-hmm. awful because I will be at shows sometimes and just be having too much sangria and be like, Oh, you like that thing? Fucking take it, darling. (laughs) You look great in it. You look, look how great your tits look. This dress is yours. Mm -hmm. You take it, you take it away from me. Yeah. I just, it's awful. And it's probably the hardest thing to do as an artist is, um, when you see that like happiness and that joy that your item is bringing someone else, it absolutely swells your heart to the point where it's going to burst and you want nothing more than to, keep letting that person be happy. And so you just want to give them things. You're just like, oh my God, this thing that I created, this piece of shit that I hate, that I made, you love it? We'll have it. You know, it's so easy to to want to do that. And um, it's really absolutely difficult to charge for items, especially industry standard charging is fucking stupid. 
Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, I wouldn't be able to afford my clothing if I charged industry standard prices right. for what I make. I would imagine they would be several hundred dollars a piece at, at industry rate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these cosplays would be thousands of dollars versus, you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a shame. And, you know, it's it's we live in a world where everything is so price driven and prices going up. And I look at people that are just starting out in some of the industries and entertainment. And I'm like, I don't know how you guys are going to get anywhere trying to build yourself with the prices that we have now Yeah. versus when, you know, when, when you and I started things were, I mean, they were still expensive and some things were out of reach, but compared to today, you know, I mean, I might've paid $75 for a, a new symbol and now you're looking at 300 plus for some of them. Right. Well, I think what has happened is kind of that illusion of China has been cracked open, right? So like when we started creating that, we all knew like, oh yeah, China makes shit and ships it over here. And like, we're just, you know, a lot of us are reselling China stuff, right? Like in all the stores that we go to, it's all just shit made in other countries and we're just reselling it at a higher rate. Whereas now that like transparency is completely in front of our face where we're like, oh my God, 99% of the shit surrounding us came from China Mm -hmm. and it cost 25 cents to create. And how the fuck is anyone in America that's creating their own items supposed to match that? You know, so it's just, it's a constant game of competitiveness but where we're at now in the industry is people are realizing like, oh man, not everything that's dirt cheap is good quality. So maybe I am okay with spending a little bit more money on something if I know the quality is going to be higher and this item is going to last me longer than this dirt cheap item that feels like chemicals and smells like chemicals, you know? Right. And it burns my skin and I'm getting strange bumps on me and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Now, the one uh, runway show that uh, that I went to was uh, Medusa's Revenge, which was, yes. I, don't, I think that was maybe 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Um, and uh, I went there to see uh, Victoria Page, of course. And yes. uh, the costume that you had done for her, there's a picture of it on, on my Facebook of her and I together. And it was this sort of, uh, she has a picture of it where she's almost like a scarecrow out in the woods. And it had this uh, thing that kind of came up and covered part of her face. And it was, I was just blown away by the quality of it, by how amazing and creative it was, because I had never seen anything like it before. And that was when I said to her, I said, God, Amanda's just amazing at the things that she comes up with. Well, thank you so much. I was really so excited about that shoot. That was with my buddy, Larry Allen, and I'm actually making films with him now. Oh, very cool. That dude is so damn talented as a photographer, and he has taken his skill sets and now flipped it to making movies. And Victoria is actually in these films as well. Mm-hmm. So we're all just still together, all still creating just on a different platform. But that shoot and that show was one of my favorite shoots. It was one of my first shoots in Java Magazine. And um, that show, Medusa's Revenge, was one of my favorite shows. It was so fun. Like some of my favorite pieces were in that show. Mm -hmm. That's good. It was, I mean, for me, not being a a person who understands a lot about fashion, even though I've, I've learned quite a bit, especially working with Victoria. uh, I, I had such an, an an appreciation for not, not just the, you know, the amount of time that's spent on hair and makeup, but the whole process of how it's organized how they how they worked the room to make the show work for the out the the, the way that yeah. the, everything was laid out. I was it was it ran so smooth and I was really impressed with that. And I started thinking about it on a, a deeper level, thinking it's amazing the amount of effort that goes into what is this an hour and a half, two hours of work? But this absolutely. is weeks or months of preparation. Yeah, absolutely. That show was put on by uh, Jen Devereaux on the Alternative Fashion Society. And Jen is one of the fucking coolest chicks I have ever met in Arizona. She has drive. She wants to make shit happen. And she's willing to collaborate with other creatives to make that shit happen. And I just really adore her and her shows and the effort that she puts in to those shows to make them happen. And I'm really hoping that she puts on another one. I hope so, too. I, I it's just amazing to have an opportunity to see something like that. And even if you're not into fashion, I would suggest that everybody go check out something like that at least once in their life. It's just, 
it's such a unique experience and you kind of walk away from it going just wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a wonderful group of very extremely talented uh, designers. She has live painters on set. I mean, they have live music and entertainment. I mean, the DJs are great. Everything about those shows are just spot on. Really, really high quality shows. Yeah, I would agree, at least from the one that I saw. Uh, now, how does that how does preparing for that differ for preparing for something like three or four days at Comic-Con or Fan Fusion? So those would be kind of what I would say are more of my specialty pieces. That's like really my signature are the pieces that you see at shows like that. Like that's my inner brain just puking out all the turmoil that it has mixing around in there into fabric form. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really my therapy. What I do at Comic-Con is more of a very, very, very watered down version of that. Um, so Comic-Con it's difficult because I would never be able to take any of the outfits that I make for the fashion show and sell them at Comic-Con. I don't think that they would move. People would appreciate them and people would stop and look at them and touch them and feel them and, and like them, but they would never sell because they're not, they're not meant to sell really. I mean, those are statement pieces that you would need to be going to like a a red carpet or a special event uh, to wear which is kind of where I'm gearing uh, my line more towards and kind of getting back to my roots. And Comic-Con is like, hey, you do you want a Modified Minds piece? I've got this custom piece over here, but it's only $30. It's totally affordable, and it's made out of pop culture reference materials for you. So find your favorite one. Um, that's just kind of like a spray and pray to get my name out. It's more of a marketing opportunity for me. Sure. And lost leaders, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and, and to no. have, to have things at all different price points so that you can reach pretty much everybody is always a great thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But, and I would imagine too, though, one of the challenges is that to see, a, a an outfit that you create is outfit the right word. Is that the right term to use? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm fine with that. I'm not picky. Okay. I didn't think you were, but I want to be, I want to be, you know, considerate of course. Uh, You're wonderful. Thank you. So are you to see uh, something though, just displayed, whether you're, you know, you've, you've uh, attached it to a wall or you've got it on a hanger and have maybe a picture of a model in it is a lot different than actually seeing someone in it and seeing how it really looks on a person to imagine how it might really look on you. So I would imagine that it's a little challenging for people to really appreciate your things at Comic-Con or an event like that when they can't really see it on someone. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit more uh, difficult and people don't really understand the scope of things. Like when I have people like coworkers or acquaintances come and see me at Comic-Con, they're like, oh my gosh, I know you. Hi. Oh, wow. This is the stuff you make. When they see that, they kind of go, oh, like, look at this cute hobby you have. Right. And it's like, yes, thank you. But also, no, this is a thing that I have been doing for over 15 years. I'm extremely proud of of what I do. And I make some pretty cool shit. Yeah. I try to, at least. And um, it's it's fun for to expose that to people, but then sad at the same time. Because it's just like, oh, man, you, you don't know about the cool shit that I do. Like, I want to... I want you to see the really rad stuff, you know, not just this cutesy stuff. Yeah, I I don't ever enjoy when people say, oh, that's cute that you make music or that's cute that you write books. (laughs) If if you understood the effort that goes into doing any kind of art, um, cute is far from the right. I mean, if you're drawing, you know, cute (laughs) cartoons, then yeah, that's cute. But it's not the cartoon drawing. It's that the drawing itself is cute. Right. And you know. honestly, I mean, those people, they just don't know. They don't know that um, what they're saying is borderline. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and they mean well. So, I mean, it's like you can't Thank get you. You, you could get upset to one extent, but on the other extent, you're like, but but I'm glad they appreciate it or, you know, that right. they're not like that. At least stupid. you're acknowledging it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, when you're when you're designing something, are there any uh, fabrics or materials that you really try to avoid because they just they rip or anything too easily? Um, I fucking hate burlap. I'll never, I, I don't like touching burlap. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to buy it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to fucking smell it. I want to burn it. <laughs> but um, it's the sexiest material that there is. I mean, who God doesn't, damn it, dude. Who, who doesn't love a woman in burlap? 
God damn it. I fucking hate burlap. It's the worst material ever made. That's just like PTSD speaking from like event companies that I worked at. But uh-huh. uh, there, I mean, there are other fabrics that I can't stand, but it really just depends on what the person needs. Um, I'm willing to get the right type of fabric to work with what the person needs. And um, that's been kind of a challenge in itself is when people come to you and they say, hey, I need this thing made. This is here are pictures of uh, what I had in mind. And I went and shopped at Joann's already and found all the fabrics. Here are the prices. So I'm willing to pay this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, but you don't know what fabrics you need. Like, you right. know, the outfit that you want, but you don't know the structure and how thick that fabric needs to or how much body that fabric needs to have or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been a task to kind of like convince people of like, you think, you know what you need, but really you don't, this is what's going to be best for you and trying to find the right wording to get them to believe you (laughs) really. So whatever they need for their costume, I will pick whatever fabrics up, Mm -hmm. even if I hate it, (laughs) except for burlap. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's it's interesting, though. Here's another opportunity for the Internet to be a double edged sword because they can look up, you know, they could do their own research and go, I want to use this and I want to use that. And you might come back and go, well, yeah, you could, but it would be better if you use this instead. Or or they might look at uh, maybe a movie and go, OK, well, they use Lycra on this costume, so I want mine to be made out of Lycra. And you right. might say, well, they didn't actually, or they did, but here's what would work better for what you're doing. They, If you don't have a client that's open to your uh, feedback, that's that's always challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the first things I always ask people is, give me example photos of what you want made. Or if it's something of their own idea, give me example photos of pieces from other outfits that you like, that you want incorporated into your outfit. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them what their budget is. That way I can give them several different options of, okay, within your budget, we can go low tier. This is your lowest price point. These are the fabrics that are going to, it's going to be made out of. It's not going to look exactly like the image and this is why. This is your middle tier and this is your highest tier. Highest tier obviously would be closest to like um, stage replica or just uh, recreation of the image that they're bringing to you Mm -hmm. and giving them the option and kind of educating them on the fabrics of this is what's going to work best and this is why. Exactly. And and, uh, hopefully, though, they're because you would hope that when they go to a professional, for a service that they would listen to what that professional has to say. But it seems that with, you know, like I said, with the internet and people doing their own research, Mm -hmm. do you get a lot of people that that just kind of like walk in going, no, this is what I want you to use? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, people, um, they, they'll, they are overnight experts on sometimes Mm -hmm. of what they want and what they need. And that is fine. And you know what? That's great that people are willing to put in the time to try to learn about the thing that they need. I think that's wonderful. There's also, I mean, just years and years and years worth of knowledge online that you'll never be able to saturate in, especially something that's not your specialty. So that's why we, the experts in our industries, need to educate people and just let them know, like, that is an option and you're kind of on the right track, but you're veering off a little bit. And this is why mm-hmm. this is my professional opinion. And they can on it. I mean, they are your customer. So they have the right to not choose you to have the item made sure. and they can go somewhere else. Or also on the flip side, you as the artist, if your customer is being too difficult, you can tell them to politely FO right. and, you know, refund them and go about your business. Mm-hmm. This is this is your life. This is your business. And you can decide how much bullshit you're willing to put up with. I've had many extremely difficult customers. I mean, people that didn't even get to the point of becoming customers that were just horrendously out of line. And that's okay. And it's okay for me to say, hey, this is not going to work out between us. We're clashing too much. And I think that we need to go our, our own ways. And that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not every uh, client is going to be someone that you're going to get along with or share the same vision with. I like to think that I'm at least somewhere in the middle. I, If I let's say that I have a computer issue that I don't know how to solve, 
and I, I need to go to somebody for some direction, I will at least research the issue and see what I can do. And then when I consult with someone, I at least have some kind of basis of, of uh, understanding what they're saying or, or maybe ask them, well, I, I read this, is this true uh, sort yeah. of thing? Um, but yeah, it just seems like people um, tend to read a couple of articles or a couple of headlines and think that they know everything in the article and what it says. Right. Or they'll see a YouTube video and they're like, so-and-so with fucking 10,000 bot followers said I should do this. And it's like, that's great. Maybe yeah. you should go to that person yeah. and they can help you up. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Wikipedia says. Yeah. And that's cool. I mean, at least they're trying, you know. <laughs> yeah. Bless their heart. Uh, now you actually, you have had some of your stuff, uh, in stores and you started off at Buffalo exchange on mill in Tempe, Arizona. How did that, uh, come about that you got some of your stuff in their store? Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, especially now, like they don't really, they don't really do consignment. They stopped doing consignment as far as I know, like a few years after that, because, uh, I went back a few years later and it was all different management and they weren't taking consignment at all. So mm -hmm. it's kind of fun to say that I was in there yeah. um, that it was my first official store because it is kind of an iconic store in Arizona, especially people our age where, uh, you know, before the Internet really boomed like it did. We did have to go shop at physical stores mm -hmm. and that it was a huge part of people locally even seeing my brand and seeing my name was how the fuck do I get in front of people? Because the internet's not really a thing at this moment. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and so it was just really like hitting the streets with like my shitty little stuff that I would make on the weekends on my mom's little machine. And I would just like deck myself out. I had this like uh, cool Ferris persona, you know? So I was like, if I look cool and I bring in cool clothes, then they're going to want to buy my clothes. So I like... <laughs> You know, yeah. shitty little me, like got all dressed up, went down, hit Buffalo Exchange, I hit name brand and a few other uh, smaller shops and Buffalo loved it. They took every single one of my items that I brought in and they continuously did that. And they sold every single one of my items I brought in for a long time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really fucking cool, actually, because in when I was in high school, like Buffalo was punk rock. You know, I don't know if you remember that, but oh, yeah. Buffalo was was punk rock and a little touch of ska. Okay, I wasn't in Arizona uh, back then. Oh, I that's right. I didn't move to Arizona until I think ninety eight. Yeah, I want to say ninety eight. Okay, so I mean, it was probably getting into punk rock by the time you got here. Yeah, um, but I wasn't familiar so. with the store until much later. But uh, okay, but yeah, I, but here's what I love about you. You say your shitty little costumes and shitty little you, but you really <laughs> must have you must have believed in yourself and the things that you were creating enough to not just do this in your bedroom or you know the back room at your mom's house. You went out and you showed it to people. You left your home and said, "I want to present this to people because I think people will like it and I think people will like what I've created." That's a big difference that sets you apart from a lot of artists who are afraid to do that. Oh, and that breaks my heart, too, that artists are even afraid to get out there. I mean, and I think, honestly, um, you know, part of this sewing is kind of a, a self-therapy for me, you know, to better myself as a human being. Mm -hmm. And I think because I've heard no and your shit and your ideas are shit for so long since I was a kid, that the word no, no longer has power in my brain, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not afraid of the word. No, the word no is not scary to me anymore. It doesn't make me run away. It's just a word that exists in the vocabulary. And I knew that I could take all of this down there and I could, you know, they could laugh at me because some of those people that work at Buffalo are kind of dickheads. We all know that. Mm -hmm. And I could have gone down there and they could have just been like laughing at me and said, absolutely not. This is shit. Get the fuck out of here. And that would have been fine. You right. know, Yeah. I heard it all my life and that's like, okay, cool. I'll just try later. I'll just, you know, maybe go home and try to make this stuff better looking and maybe I'll come back or maybe I'll find a better store and fuck you guys. You know, like it doesn't matter. You know, this is just life and we're all just trying to live the best versions of that life. So don't fucking be afraid to hear the word. No, that's so true. But this is the challenge that I have is I hate that you've been treated that way. I hate that anybody 
tries mm-hmm. to stifle an artist instead of encourage them. Like there would be a difference between saying, um, I think you can do better than this mm-hmm. versus that just sucks, you know? Yeah. But at the same point, should I be grateful for those people? Because if you didn't experience that, would you be the kind of person that would go out and put yourself in shops and advertise yourself and say, Hey, I want to work on your film. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, the first step of being an artist is that internal um, movement and that internal self-realization of, hey, not everything that you make is going to be perfect and amazing. And maybe you are going to make some shit things and maybe you should try to develop an editing eye to step back and be like, oh, man, they said this is shit. Is it shit? I don't know. Let me look at it. Let me open it up. Like, what about this is shit that they don't like, you know, and try to figure it out. And maybe you will discover like, oh, fuck, they're right. This is shit. (laughs) And this is white. And well, damn, maybe, maybe I could make it this way and try it again. And maybe it's still shit. Maybe you have to fucking do that like 20 times. And maybe you absolutely despise the thing that you've made by the end of it because you've seen it for way too long. But at least by then, it's not going to be shit, though. Well, that's very true. And you can certainly, I mean, you can definitely learn from people's feedback. I think the first thing is allowing yourself to hear what they have to say, which is uh, very challenging for a lot of artists because you don't want to hear anything bad. But the second thing is then deciding whether that has value to your vision of your art. So if somebody Mm -hmm. says, you know, I don't really like that color. I think if you would have used this, I would like it better. Okay, so right. is that something that is really specific to that person? And if so, that's okay. I mean, art is subjective. Or is right. that something where you can look at it and go, you know what, I do think that color would have worked better. And that's the difference is being open to hearing what they say and then judging yeah. whether that feedback is relevant to you as an artist. Right. You have to be receptive to that feedback. You have to be able to be willing to not only take, but give constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, you're never going to get anywhere as an artist because you're never going to grow and you're never going to develop and learn from those trial and errors if you never see anything wrong in your art. Right, exactly. But you also have to keep in mind that the person that's saying it is giving it through their eye, through their experience, through their own trial and error. And that's where their opinion comes from. Absolutely. It may or may not be relevant, but I think as artists in general, uh, unless you teach yourself to do it, people are generally resistant to anything that doesn't feel good. Right. Right. But like you said, you can't grow if you don't hear, you don't learn, you don't look at things differently because no one, you're not, you're not going to see things differently unless someone points it out to you. So it can be very beneficial if it's, if it's done in a supportive way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even in a traumatic way, you know, I've, I've made like, uh, when I first started sewing, I had some people that were like, Oh, it's my girlfriend's birthday. So I'm going to make her a thing and then take her the thing. And you're like, I know her so well, she's going to love this thing. And then you bring it to her and she's like, Oh, this is nice. Thanks. (laughs) And they fucking hate it. Right. Uh, but they hate it for a reason, you know, but you didn't think about that reason. And then you're just like, Oh shit, they hate it. And now I'm embarrassed at this party. And I like was so cocky and I thought she was going to love it. And it's absolutely not her taste and not her flavor because you didn't think about the client or whatever that you were making it for or whatever the reason, you know, like shit happens. Not everything is perfect Mm -hmm. and not everyone is going to be thrilled about the things that you make. And that's fine. (laughs) And that's just the pain that you have to be able to be willing to take in as an artist. Yeah. And then next year you just give her a bedazzled jean jacket. That's right. You just give her a fucking Amazon gift card and let that basic bitch go. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And I've had that too, where I, you know, when, when I work on a film and the the director and I discuss what the music should be, and then I submit a piece and he's like, yeah, that doesn't really work. And yeah, that's not really what I want. And then sometimes it's five, six pieces before you, you really find that thing that, that works. And sometimes it's the first thing you just never really know because it's hard to explain exactly what you're seeing And Mm -hmm. for two people to share the same vision when you think you're sharing the same vision because you're using the right words, but really what's in your head are two completely different things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your vision could be totally different from that person's vision. And you don't know if it's a lack of um, explanation on your part or on their part. Like, it's just it's shit that naturally happens between two people when you're trying to create together. Mm hmm. Exactly. And it's, it's such a tough thing because you want to please your client. You want to make them happy and you want to feel good about 
the things that you've done. You want to hear that, oh, yeah, that was great right out of the gate. And oh, thank God I don't have to do any revisions, but they're going right. to happen. I mean, you, you have to be able to roll with that to survive in anything in a creative industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I've noticed too, like the more um, transparent that you can make yourself during the creation process, the more successful you're going to be. Because that vision that they have and the vision that you have, it could sound in words when you're explaining it at the beginning. You could both feel like, oh, hell yeah, we're on the same page. We totally understand what each other is expecting. And then maybe you don't communicate until the end of the project. And then all of a sudden, something has happened. Right. Something has changed. And now all of a sudden, this is not the thing that they were looking for. Right. Um, right. I've had that happen too, you know, during all of this growing and learning, you know, that we're fucking fantastic. Everything is perfect. And then at the end you deliver and it's just like, oh no, this mm-hmm. is not at all what I wanted. And the more transparent and open and um, the more that you can reveal during your creation process, I think the better because they're going to see where you're at and they are having more opportunity to stop you at any moment. If they, if they're starting to notice, maybe you're derailing from their vision accidentally, right. you know, but is, is that, I, I would imagine though, with, with, with your line of work, that's really hard. If I'm working on a project and I can send a sketch or, you know, a rough, uh, uh, uh draft of the music. But for you, sometimes you really don't see it until the whole piece is done and you go, oh, well, when I saw the components, I thought it was good. But now that I'm seeing the whole thing together, that's not really what I wanted. Right. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. And it's really just a learning process to find your your timeline and what your layout is going to be that you present to that client mm-hmm. of trying to get as much of that out in the open up front as possible. And it still happens to this day. I've had people cancel shit on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's shit happens. You know, you sure. go to them, you try to get those example photos, you make them a sketch of this is what is in my head based on what your asks are. You bring this to them. You show them examples of the fabrics that you're looking to get, even bring them samples of the fabric sometimes will alleviate tons of fear and wonder. Um, and that in that step alone, you can avoid so much turmoil that comes down later in the road um, because of fabric choices, like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometimes I'll just take videos of me creating their items uh, and send them to them. Just like, hey, just wanted to, you know, let you know I'm working on this part today. And here's a quick video, you know, just kind of give them the the insight. And it makes them kind of feel more involved and part of that step uh, to try to avoid those accidental derailings. That's a good idea. And and do you find that if you've worked with somebody already and then you go to do a second or a third project, that communication gets easier and there's less uh, growing pains after that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important thing is that the person that is coming to you knows who you are and they understand what your style is. Mm -hmm. So they've seen your work either from friends or at shows or online or in magazines or whatever. And they are drawn to you because of your style and because of your touch that you offer. Um, So it's always a good sign when someone comes up to you and they're like, Hey, nice to meet you. So-and-so referred me. I love your stuff. I've been to these shows or I've seen your work. That is always the perfect opening to meeting a new client or a new friend because you know, like, Oh hell yeah. You get who I am. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. It's always scary when someone's like, Oh yeah. You know, this is my first time really seeing your stuff. It's always risky because they don't really understand what your style is or what your touch is. But I think that goes back to the communication we were talking about earlier. If you can kind of set that expectation, then, uh, yeah, there, there might still be a few bumps, but it's going to really ease out a good, I would say, 80% of the trauma that you could go through by not communicating. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. Do you now you what amazes me about you is that you have really been through a lot and yet you're so successful. You're such a driving force. I mean, being, you know, having so little support, being told that you suck, and then you were in an accident that kind of derailed you for a little bit, but you've come back just so strong and and you're feisty and you don't give up. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Um, I am feisty, uh, almost to a fault. It's a problem that I have. I have a hard time saying, uh, telling myself no, 
actually. And I have a hard time withdrawing myself or telling myself to slow down when I should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got in a pretty nasty accident a few years ago um, at the last place that I worked, which was Tech Shop. Uh, unfortunately, I got um, some e- extreme damage on my right hand, which is my primary artist hand. I'm cross dominant. Mm-hmm. And um, so it knocked me out of the game for a long time. And that is actually just recently, well, it's coming to a close very soon. Good. Which I'm very excited about. And I'm really excited to get that all behind me. Yes. Uh, It has had long lasting damage on me that I I will have to learn how to kind of live with and and work around. Um, That is part of life, unfortunately. And it did affect my sewing. and. Um, I do have pain now when it comes to creating, which is very unfortunate, but there is nothing that I can do to make that go away um, other than the things that I can do, like exercises and working it out. And I have treated um, my sewing as a, a hand therapy. It's great hand therapy for me because the gripping and the pushing and the pulling of fabric, it works the ligaments and the tendons, which have um, been cut shorter in my accident. So the stretching is really important for me uh, to keep that mobility up. And um, I'm just using my sewing as my therapy to move my sewing forward, really. And it has restructured what I'm doing. And um, it's getting me away from more of the basic clothing that I've been creating for, I mean, the last probably eight years. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe it was just time for me to move away from those things and get back to what my core roots are, which are these one-off individualized pieces. But see, that's the, that's again, kind of the difference between you and a lot of other people who would just go, well, I can't do this. It hurts. And I I guess that's the way it's going to be. But that's the same thing as people saying, you know, you're not good at this. You suck. And you're going, well, I'll show you. And then the next thing you know, your stuff is at Buffalo Exchange, you know, selling constantly. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that that obviously makes you successful is the fact that you don't give up. You find ways to work around whatever the problems are and you embrace it and you own it. I try to. I mean, there's really nothing else you can't. I mean, you could. There is an option to to lay down and give up. But, um, I, that's one of the things that was instilled in me very early on in life is don't give up, just keep going. There's no reason to ever give up. And if you do give up, you have no one to blame but yourself. That's very true. That's right. And so I just, uh, keep pushing forward. That's all you can do. This situation is out of my control. It is out of my hands literally. And so fucking just deal with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you have to deal with the cards that you were dealt and you just fucking move on. You just go. Exactly. You know, when I, when I was living in California, uh, one of the events that I went to, I met a lady who I, I don't remember the exact situation that she was in. So I don't want to misspeak, but she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't move her legs and she kayaked from Los Angeles to Hawaii. Holy shit. Yeah. I, I think it took her like 20, I want to say 28 days. It could have been somewhere around a month. Oh my God. I mean, that's just insane. But that's wow. that's somebody that says, you know what? Uh, I might not be able to do that, but I'm going to be able to do something else that I want to do just because I want to do it. I'm going to you know, make it happen. And I love that, that people, I love people that just don't let the things in life stop them from doing the things that they want to do. And that's a big part of what not only makes you successful, but just makes you happy and fulfilled as a person. Right. Absolutely. It's uh, art fuels me and fuels my soul and uh, making people happy also fuels my soul and uh, bringing sewing into the picture uh, allows both of those things to happen. So that is what I strive for in my life and really just art in general, any self-expression and art is a wonderful thing. I feel like everyone has the right to do it. And if I can help make that happen for someone, if they've always had a, a dream item in their head that they've never been able to find or, or get, and I can help them have that item, you know, even if it's a super goofy princess dress that they've had in their head since they were five, I don't give a fuck. I will make them that goddamn dress and I will make one for myself and we will go party together. I don't care. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. 
Well, before we wrap up, is there any uh, any other advice that you have for somebody who is looking for someone to do uh, an outfit for them? Uh, well, we have so much amazing talent here in Arizona. Um, I highly recommend if anyone is looking for custom pieces made, whether it's clothing or, or just art in general, please check out your local artists here in Arizona. We have so much talent. It's ridiculous. Um, and also your surrounding states. We have so much local talent. Uh, check local first mm-hmm. before you outsource. Um, and then also don't be afraid to have the thing that you want and um, look at local resources like uh, Fabric in Tempe. You know, the label horde has a wonderful directory that has local seamstresses and pattern makers and all kinds of wonderful things on uh, their listings, as well as other places, you know, Facebook and Google, all all wonderful places. Or I don't know, hit me up. I can help you. There you I'll go. I'll help you find someone. <laughs> there you go. And I think that's that's it, too, is that you, it's better to get uh, with someone directly, work with somebody who's going to yeah. give you a personalized service, especially when it comes to something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Check out your local artists first, always. Yeah, I would highly agree with that. Well, Amanda, it has just been such a joy talking to you. You're so inspirational. I love, love, love that you've overcome so many things and that you're just you're on fire. Oh, thank you so much, Scott. I feel the same way about you. You're one of these wonderful, beautiful people in the world that keeps it turning. And I just thank you so much for having me and even making this podcast is absolutely amazing. So thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me too. And definitely come back and see us again. Thank you. I absolutely will. You just let me know. Will do. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me on episode 60 of the Haskin Cast podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, after listening to Amanda's inspiring interview, go run up those stairs, get to the top, jump up and down, be excited. Uh, obviously do it within whatever means you have health-wise. Take care of yourselves more than anything else, but go for your dreams. Don't let anybody beat you down or tell you that you can't or that you shouldn't or that you're not skilled because you know what? You can learn how to do anything. Thank you guys for joining me. We'll see you again next week with another great episode. We've got a couple more yet before the August break. See you guys soon. Bye.